Brian Jones was a founding member and original genius behind the Rolling Stones. After a couple years, he was kicked out of the biggest band on earth. His girlfriend would dump him for his bandmate, and he would be dead at the bottom of his swimming pool at the age of 27. This week on Death and Entertainment. Live from Los Angeles. 911, what is your emergency? Here in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder, injury, and death. Oh my God! Shocking new details that has stunned the entertainment world. Um, this makes me a little nervous. The hair stood up on my arms. Just like in the movies. Ah! What do you call this thing, anyway? Death in entertainment. Hello, Deados. Oh, man, what's going on here, mate? What's up? <laughs> it's great to see you. Great to see you. Great to be here. Alejandro's not in character today. He's, not, <laughs> he's doing it straight he's Alejandro. <laughs> oh, I thought we were doing Steve Irwin for a second. No. Oh, no. This is British, mate. This is, yeah, British, a little bit. Well, it's a cockney. It's uh, Chestershire, mate. A mm, little bit. Got it. Let's have some <laughs> points to go fuck up some people at the soccer game or football match. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? My name's Kyle Plouffe. That was actually Australian right there. That was kind of, yeah. <laughs> My name is also Mark Mulcairn. And I'm Alejandro Dowley. Oh, that was very... Oh, now he's That was character. very posh. Yeah, we're all over the place here with the uh, accents. Yeah. I am genuinely excited for this episode because this is one of the few stories I literally know nothing about. I am shocked at that. I'm also shocked that Alejandro knows nothing about this because he's a huge Stones fan. And he was at a concert recently. Yeah. Yes, I saw the Rolling Stones, and they played all the hits. It was fantastic. It was at the Staples Center? No, the... SoFi. SoFi, SoFi Stadium. Okay. Wow. The brand new stadium next yeah, they to Hollywood just, Park Casino. They just play stadiums. They don't, they don't fuck around with, you know, they're not playing the Palladium. I'll tell no. you that much. It's a great show, though. They don't mess around. Yeah. They bring out the backup singers. Keith Richards does 20 minutes of blues solos. Yeah. And then they play all the hits. That's and forget mi- this story ever happened. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm surprised these guys are still walking around and still kicking. After hearing this story and all this shit that went down, they have so much baggage on them. Yeah. But after like the 60s and 70s were done, they seem to like, you know, clean up their act. Well, I don't know about that. I would say, <laughs> okay. I think the secret to staying alive is never stopping your vices. Just keep them going. No, I don't think Keith Richards. I think on some level he's like Dean Martin drinking the apple juice. Uh, I don't he's, think it's he's a work. He's like, hey, I'll get fucked up, mate. I, I shoot heroin at 80. Like, no, you don't. Yeah. I don't know. Because at the concert, he was like, you know, playing music. It's what I do. <laughs> Chuckling to himself. That's so charming. And they did a nice tribute to Charlie Watts. That's the most recent. And he recently passed yes. away. Yeah, he'll come up later in this, too. But he's like a very under-the-radar guy. Yeah. Not a lot going on there with him. but um, Except when he punched Mick Jagger at a hotel. That Ooh. is true. That I don't have that in this story because this was after the Brian Jones uh-huh. saga. He punched him because Mick Jagger said, hey, come have some beers with us. And Charlie Watts is like, no. I'm just going to sleep in my hotel room, which he was like, you know, he would do all the time because he didn't want to hang out with these maniacs. And then I think uh, Mick said, I need my drummer down here now. And he's like, (laughs) "Okay." if it's that way, Charlie Watts went down there, just fucking punch him right in the face. Wow. These guys would just like beat each other up and stuff and just still hang out the next day. I can see why Watts wouldn't want to join into what Mick Jagger is up to. He's like sleeping with David Bowie and making yeah. dancing in the street videos with them. And he's banging like underage actresses too. Whoa, I, hey, oh, 
No, he is. <laughs> Mick Jagger is. It, oh, this, I'm sure. This is well documented. Yeah. You know, nothing new. But this was on like a, a behind the music on VH1. So yeah, it was pretty uh, well known stuff. You know what I need? What do you need? I need this story in here now. Okay. Well, these guys <laughs> need some satisfaction. So let's get into hey. the Brian Jones story. But first. But first. We go to July 3rd, 1969. 69! Nice. So, Kyle, can you tell us right now what's going on with the music situation here on July 3rd, 1969? We got the top 100 UK music hits here. Number four. And I don't know if this is because of what was going on or if because they were, you know, big. It's very intentional. Yeah. Rolling Stones, Honky Tonk Women. Yes. Number four Number on four. the charts. These are the UK charts, by the way. Yeah. Is this the first episode since David Strickland where they're featured in the pop culture flash? Mm. Um, No, but there was another one. Didn't we have? Uh, I don't know. It wasn't I- Woodstock 99. No, it definitely was And not. is Brian Jones part of Honky Tonk Women? No, he's not part of this song. Okay, so technically he's not in the pop culture flash then. Um, His old band is. I think that's, uh, what was that on? I, I see. I'm looking it up right now. I think it was just from a Greatest Hits album. That's what they used to do. Oh, wow. It was released as a non-album yeah. single. On July 4th, 1969 in the UK. The day after he fucking died. Wow. They didn't waste any time. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what else is going on music-wise? Number three, Amen Corner, Hello Susie. I do not know that one. I, I do not know that, that weird, wild uh, song, Ed. Weird, what do you say? Song. Ah, never heard of it. <laughs> Number two, Elvis Presley, In the Ghetto. In the ghetto, which my family like quotes this song all the time for really? no reason. Yeah, my aunt Janet always sings it. In the ghetto, in the ghetto. <laughs> Wait, they quote it or they sing it? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> both are correct. <laughs> Number one, Thunderclap Newman, which is gonna be my porn name. <laughs> something in the air. Oh, there's something in the air, right? Yeah, great song. The clap. Is it? <laughs> Yeah, this is one of the great rock songs. Uh, you said that with such emphasis. Yeah, such bravado. Yeah, some such energy. Well, first of all, it's in the movie Almost Famous, and it's in the movie Kingpin. So two classics. <laughs> two very different movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that one that goes, there's something in Oh, I do like this song. Yeah, this is oh, like, yeah, a, yeah. like a montage scene of Almost Famous. I remember yeah. this. Go to the piano solo at the end. Is this the chipmunk singing this song? Yeah, listen to this. This is the best solo. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like an old-timey Western bar or something, yeah. Hey, lady, let me get a sarsaparilla. Oh, my God. I get goosebumps from this bar every time. Really? Oh, it's excellent. Goosebumps. Goosebumps. What the fuck? (laughs) What root beer are you drinking? (laughs) Well, well, a lot of pants are down. (laughs) I am thunderclapping. Okay. His ass cheeks are thunderclapping. That is, uh, well, that's going to get us a strike on the the music there, but we'll take it, I guess. It was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, At least it's not the stones yet. You know, we don't have Keith Richards (laughs) banging on our door yet. So, (laughs) Alejandro, what's going on with the movies right now? Top of the UK box office. Number three, Midnight Cowboy. Ooh. John Voight, 
Dustin Hoffman. As Ratto Rizzo. I'm walking here. I'm walking. <laughs> For some reason, I can't stop thinking about uh, how Seinfeld did the, the their callbacks and references to that. Like when uh, he was at the, the back of the bus with uh, Kramer, mm. where Kramer's like going crazy. And he's like, are you all right, buddy? So when Seinfeld the, was a big fan of this movie. Uh, or Larry David was, I think. Yeah. Mm. Either or. It is the only movie to win the Best Picture Oscar yeah. that was rated X. It was, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. They didn't even give it another shot at the MPAA. They're just like, let's release it? Yeah. Wow, that's uh, that's ballsy. Mm. Meanwhile, Terrifier 2 is rated R. Everyone go see it. It's so good. Okay, well, now we're getting into movies that are coming out <laughs> We got to stay in 69. Yeah. Summer of Woodstock. Yeah. We're, we're nearing the end of the 60s. Manson hasn't killed anybody yet. No, right? No, I don't think so. I don't think. I think this is a summer, though. It does go down in 1969. It might right? be happening as we speak. <laughs> yeah, they're they're getting their you know the the knives together now. Well, let's do the Tarantino version. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, nothing ever happened. Where they have tea. Yeah. Yeah, we're five weeks away from the Tate murders. Wow, oh a lot of God. shit going on this summer. Oof. Okay. Number two, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Love it. Mm. Raindrops keep falling oh, on my head. head. Yeah. One of uh, many co-starring roles with uh, Paul Newman and Robert Redford. What are the other many? Uh, the Sting. Okay. And I'm thinking of one more. There's a third <laughs> one. <laughs> There's a, a Sting too, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Fat Man and Little Boy. I thought they did another one together. I forget the name of it. Number one, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, a James Bond movie. I didn't even know what that was. When I saw it on there, I was like, I don't, is this like some like very British bullshit that you're like mandated <laughs> to watch? Oh, it's the first one without Sean Connery. Oh, okay. It's George Lazenby. Was he an American Lazenby? Was he was was he British? I think. I think they did I think a couple you have with to it. Be a, British to be Bond. I know. It, well, <laughs> his, time I checked. Historically, yes, but I thought there was one with like well, an American. Is Daniel Craig British? Course. No, you're no, he's Australian. Hey, Daniel Craig is George Lazenby. Oh, okay, you call that a Brit? You call it a Brit, mate. I'll show you a Brit. <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, so that's the uh movie's situation in Britain at this time. I time-year. hope you enjoyed you that little list we went through. You guys gonna want to get down on some Brian Jones now? Yeah, like, like beans on toast. Okay, <laughs> we're getting very British here. <laughs> like some tea with my crumpets. Oh, yeah, like teeth that are fucking. All fucked up. Yeah, that was a big thing with British. Their teeth are all fucked up. They don't have the fluoride in their water. Without further ado, let's get into Brian Brian Jones. Boy, mate. Brian Jones was born in a little town called Chellerham, Gloucestershire. Not so little of a name, though. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really obnoxious name. (laughs) Uh, There's more later, but some of these names for Britain, they're just like, you know, out of a fucking fairy tale. I hate this shit. It could be a dump in the countryside, and it's like Westchester Shire Villa. Yeah, and there's like smokestacks, and no one's ever seen the sun for like 20 years or something. (laughs) Born into a very middle class family. This town is a very nice kind of, you know, midland, landlocked British town. 
it seems like the town from like Hot Fuzz the movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was born with a respiratory infection, which left him with asthma that lasted for the rest of his life. So he was a very asthmatic kid. This Brian Jones. Oh. He went to public school and was actually pretty smart. He didn't even have to like study for tests. He was like one of those kids that just kind of jumped into the test, like said, yeah. "Oh, I'm gonna fail, I'm gonna fail," and then they get like an A plus plus, and you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. That actually made me mad when kids would do that in high school. Oh, I was like that in like middle school, but high school I was dumb. He kind of turned into that, you know. He yeah. was really good musician, great with a saxophone. He loved rock and roll, smart kid. But eventually, he just had he had an issue with authority. More and more, like. He wasn't doing well in school like like he was earlier. The smart ones do, though. Does that stem from the way the school system is set up? Like, they're in uniform. Yeah. have to obey the headmaster. I think that this was a time, like, you know, Pink Floyd later came out with, like, that thing, you know, against, you know, the structure of the, the British, you know, school system and stuff. Yeah. But he was able to, like, you test into better grades. So he's doing... AP like bio and stuff and yeah. like what we would call accelerated program like classes and he's like testing higher and higher and I think he's getting shit for it and he's like wait a second I'm like a good proper boy and I want to be like a bad boy yeah he starts listening to the blues listening to jazz and he's like wait a second wait a second wait a second I want to be the fucking bad dude not like one of these good kids yeah and when you have a head on your shoulders too like the more you're getting yelled at and told what to do the more you're like get the fuck off me like, hey Teacher, <laughs> leave those kids alone. <laughs> exactly. There'll be no pudding if there's no school. <laughs> or whatever they say on uh, Pink Floyd or whatever. <laughs> Eventually, he starts fucking up. At the age of 17 is a big year for him. He gets his first acoustic guitar. Hell yeah. And Hey, we're cooking now. Two years earlier, I think he got his first saxophone. His parents were huge music people. His dad was like a aeronautical engineer an aeronautical guitarist and yeah. an aer Whoa! aeronautical guitarist <laughs> Ooh, it applies to the me guitar as well he makes uh, funny <laughs> songs that have to do with space yeah <laughs> space is the crazy place it's you know i just imagine an old british dad making weird records and like it's this. for kids and brian jones is like this is great <laughs> yeah. wally jolly walloper today yeah and i think he was like that though i think he went along with these weird sing-alongs his dad would probably do and it was a very quiet normal place it's not like fucking london or anything you hear about these families that are they're like, creeps well, no i don't mean it like that. <laughs> that's what i mean it like i just couldn't imagine growing up in a household where everyone's creative like that no creative is one thing but if you go over there and you're like you have to take part in sing-alongs you know, with the family, and it's like, you know, it's like a serial killer or something. A little Partridge family going Yeah, on. yeah, but like a dark side. Borderline cult. Yeah, well, I... Children of God kind of vibe. Not in this Mamas and the Papas. Mama, oh, my God. You're bringing a, them up all the time, every man. Episode. God, you love that fucking guy. <laughs> they got a good family dynamic. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I think we're going to need to do Papa John someday. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Mackenzie Phillips was the girl that actually... I was talking about the underage girl with Mick Jagger. Same, no! Same girl. Hey, same hey, girl. Hey. Yeah, the one, same one whose dad went after her, too. Yeah, same girl. Oh, That's no. in the VH1 documentary. She said Nay. Mick Jagger closed the door behind her one time when he when she was at his place, and uh, the rest is not good history. Oof. Did she think they were related? That he oh, was her uncle God, or something? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hello. <laughs> we're going off track here. This, <laughs> I got. I got to straighten this out. Here. Write the train. Yeah, I got to write the train. 
<laughs> Brian would play the guitar at and sing in the church choir in like this little hot do. fuzz town and like idyllic childhood. Nothing wrong with his childhood. Yeah. Nothing. It's is, probably the kind of place where the cop stops by and says hello and brings muffins for the family. Yeah. It's like a Beatles song, you know. Copper Johnny <laughs> yeah. comes by and mommy's got the pie in, you know, in the British garden time. You know? <laughs> it's like it's like that. Sunday I'm morning, a- we ate pancakes. <laughs> yeah. You, you're riding the bike with these little songs <laughs> playing in your head. And there's little blue creatures yeah. flying above you while you're... Blueberry Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you need to start a British album yourself. Yeah. I would listen to it to go to sleep. <laughs> Fancy path, Johnny walked up the hill, came down Ronnie, and he was on a pill. <laughs> this is all Beatles albums that never happened. Yeah. We all live in a green duplex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much what, what this guy's life was. But, oh, you know, fuck. he was his own worst enemy <laughs> everywhere. Even then. Even then, because this is what happens. Brian is normal 17-year-old kid going to school. I think by the time you're 17 in Britain, you're like done with what would be high school or something. He knocks up his girlfriend at 17 years old. He tries to have her get an abortion, and he gets caught, and the police get involved. She has a kid, and she gives it up for adoption right away. So that's number one kid. He gets Britain. caught doing what? Trying to convince her to have an abortion? Yeah. It was kind of not legal this time. Oh, abortion. Geez. If those walls could talk... Exactly. I you, you wonder what he'd be saying. But yeah, either way, uh Brian is fucking right now and he might be doing some sucking also. <laughs> We're hitting all the big hits of death and entertainment. But, he, but he's also really into his dad's blues records, Robert Johnson, Elmore James. He's playing in local blues clubs and jazz clubs. He is good enough at guitar and saxophone that he's playing at these clubs at seventeen. What does wow. he have the blues about at 17? Exactly. Nothing. He's like, my girlfriend got an abortion. <laughs> She's too hot. Yeah. No, she like, didn't get an abortion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we go raise the fucking kid. Yeah. And the baby's in high bridge with the new family. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> this needs to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, he even at every turn, it seems like he's fucking himself over. He gets out of it somehow. Like, he decides to split for a while, go to Northern Europe with his guitar, and just start busking for money. And just like, I'm not living with my parents right now. Like, I'm on the street. He's trying to figure out what his next move is. Family working class. Yes. Does he really need to be on the street like this? No, but he's deciding to. He got in a fight with his parents because his parents are more straight-laced people. Even though they're musicians. They are, but they're not like rock and roll. They're not like cokeheads. <laughs> but he's like smoking, he's drinking, he's going to these jazz clubs and stuff. He, he's living the lifestyle. They're like Peter, Paul, and Mary. Yes, they're Puff the it's, Magic Dragon. Instead of Janis Joplin doing heroin. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> yes, they're not doing heroin, these parents, for sure. Yeah. So he goes back home. He's still hanging around back in like Chellerford or whatever this, this place is. Chellershire. Chellershireford, yeah. Ham. So <laughs> he's still in the scene. He's trying to figure out, like, trying to put a band together. He's yeah. going to rock shows. He impregnates this other woman. Oh, my God. Who's, put your who's, dick away, will you? Who's married. <laughs> this is the second person he's a impregnated married woman. in 1959. This is the second person. Oh, my God. She has the kid and raises it with her husband. 
He claims he was never told about this kid giving birth to. Wow. The husband of Brian Jones. Brian Jones. Okay. So, but he was aware of it, obviously, at some point. Yeah, at some point, I think he was made aware of it. So he's still hanging around, busking and playing songs and doing his thing. He's doing a lot of busking. He's a busker. According to Mark. Busking means, you know, he brings his guitar around and says, hey, give me some money for me playing guitar. I'm a busker. It's it's a creative skill to be able to busk successfully. Yeah. I never busked. It's about crowd gathering. And like making sure like you don't actually do the main act until the whole crowd gets there. Yeah. So like you're teasing people like where the show's gonna start. Yeah, Buskin is taken more seriously. I yeah, think there. yeah. There's a lot more street performers in Britain and stuff that like are taken kind of seriously. That's how Eddie Izzard, the comedian, started. He he was like a street performer. That's what Twitch streamers do. They sit there for like the first ten minutes not doing shit till yeah. the whole crowd gets there, and then they do their fucking thing. Virtual busking. <laughs> it's a virtual busking. <laughs> Meanwhile, on Hollywood That's Boulevard. That's for you people yeah, out there. Marquerikwai. Ah, okay, okay. I don't like the way that sounds. <laughs> on Hollywood Boulevard, yeah. the buskers aren't taken very seriously. I know, yeah. If you don't give them anything, they'll kill you. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they you will assault you. And you got it coming. You don't really know the difference between busking and... Homeless insanity. Yeah, and just stabbing you in the neck. <laughs> In 1961, Brian Jones applied for a scholarship to Cheddarham Art College. So he's like, let me go back to school. Maybe that. Yeah, Cheddarham. That's what I'm it's hungry. called. Cheddarham. <laughs> Welcome to Cheddarham. We're all about the cheddar. Was that like a culinary school? Uh, no, it's an art college. Financial. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> getting the cheddar. Cheddar. He was initially accepted into the program, but two days later, the offer was withdrawn because an unidentified acquaintance wrote to the college calling Jones an irresponsible drifter. So someone just wrote a fucking letter, maybe threw it through the window of (laughs) this college and just said, this guy sucks. What, because he's abandoning a bunch of kids? That's the only reason why, I guess. Yeah. The note's like, he'll have sex with your wife, too. (laughs) It probably was that fucking guy. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I would... Who else would it be? Yeah. Dad? I gotta raise Brian Jones' fucking kid now. (laughs) (laughs) Street busker. He meets another woman, has another kid, his third kid, in like two years. Me boy. This guy guy is fertile. He's fertile as fuck. Yeah, this guy is not shooting blanks. He's the original Antonio Cromartie. Yeah. That guy has 19 kids and got his uh, he got a vasectomy and then had two more kids. Oh my god, <laughs> that sperm ain't stopping. No, yeah, <laughs> this sperm stops for no man. <laughs> no man. <laughs> <laughs> and then he has another kid, and then you know he's like, now this kid he's gonna raise. He's gonna stick with his uh, girl at this time named Pat, and he was gonna stick with her. And the kid's name was guess what, Julian Mark. But they called him Mark. Hey. Julian Mark? Yeah. Okay, what's significant about that? Because you share a name? Yes. Um, Mark is my name. Yeah, that's yeah, why yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it is very interesting. <laughs> it's Julian Alejandro. Yeah. <laughs> Some families will do that, though. I always thought it was a weird thing where people will name their kid with a first name and then call him by his middle name. It's Julian Mark, and they call him Mark. But yeah, that's what, what they the fuck? that's what they called him eventually. Yeah, Julie I grew Christ. up with a, a kid named Sid, but his middle name was Adam, so his family called him Adam. It was so weird. <laughs> well, usually Sid is the cooler name. Usually, yeah. it's because they name it after a grandfather. Well, and- Sydney. I think he thought it was like girly and didn't oh, want to be called okay. Sydney. Sydney. There's a lot of great Poitiers. Yeah. Sydney's exactly Sydney. Prescott. 
That's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Sydney Poitier from that South Park. Sydney Poitier, Sydney Poitier's character yeah. in Scream. Yeah. <laughs> Michael J. Fox also he goes by J to his family. Does he? No. <laughs> <laughs> Brian is like kind of meandering around this area, and he's like, "There's not nothing's going to happen for me here. I want to start a band. I want to be a big rock star. Nothing's going on." Yeah. He's busking and fusking. He's busking. He's London. busking. He's fucking. He's sucking. You know, he's like, before I have my fourth kid. Busking and susking. Yeah. <laughs> I might as well get my career off the ground here. Because yeah. Because nothing's really happening. So he decides it's time to go down to London. There's a budding blues scene down there that's going fucking nuts. Uh, like grunge in like the 1990s in it's Seattle. For blues. <laughs> it's but for the blues. Yeah. London town blues. <laughs> it's like Seattle grunge. Yeah. yeah. He meets a bunch of people down there. Eventually, he decides, hey, why don't I put this ad out for a band? Mm. And he puts an ad out just looking for, hey, anyone want to start a rock band? That's Anybody want to play with me? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and he's guitarist at this point? Well, he plays everything. Okay. He's like a musical genius. Yeah, saxophone. Savant. He, yeah, he plays every, and I think that's why he's great at like starting a band, because yeah. he knows how to play every aspect, anything you would want. But the thing is, he's like a blues purist. He's yeah. like all about just the blues and like the original songs that were created out of like, you know, Mississippi or Alabama, mm-hmm. where, you know, wherever the blues started or out of Chicago and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he decides, hey, I want to start my own band. He puts an ad out in like a local like fanzine or something, which was popping up around London. Like, I want to start a band. And he brings in all these people that are going to be part of this band. Like, he brings in. The band Cream, he knows like uh, oh, wow. Eric Clapton and all those guys. Like all the, it's like a small scene, so it's not That's like. Crazy. And is he mixing with the Beatles or the Stones yet? Not yet. The Stones, yeah. Well, he's about to create. He is I know. That's, <laughs> That's what I mean, though. I mean, literally, people that became the Rolling Stones are they part of the mix? Uh, oh, I'm yes. sure they responded to the ad. They responded to the ad, but also he had met. Keith and Mick at a bar a couple months before, even before they responded to the ad. Um, but they did respond to the ad. They did. It's basically like going on Craigslist and saying, who wants to start a band? Yeah, exactly. Who wants to start an improv yeah. group? You're going to get some crazy people. Usually. Lunatics. Yeah. Did they just call him up like, hey, do you want something <laughs> Yeah. You don't even know if this guy's legit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Keith Richards is like, hey, it's blues music. Yeah. It's heroin. It's heroin. <laughs> I got married some wild horses. We want to get together, mate, and uh, we want to create a band. Get your ass over here. <laughs> That's going to be one of our songs. He gets together all these people. Some people come and go, but for the most part, the bulk of it was Brian Jones, Keith Richards, and Mick Jagger. The and three musketeers. Charlie Watts. The three busketeers. Oh, hey! here we go. Um, <laughs> uh, he got this band together, and... A couple of the people left because a lot of the, what Brian wanted to do was based on the music of Chuck Berry. And some people, if you're a blues purist, I think Chuck Berry is like bullshit. Really? Uh, uh, yeah. Like he, like he's more pop than like blues purist. Wow. It's, it's ridiculous. But they all shared a love for Chuck Berry, I believe, the Stones. Because the, they, they were involved in that documentary. The, the Motown in the 80s. Review. What? And in the 80s, they made a movie with Chuck Berry. Yeah. They, like he, they Hail, all, hail, rock and roll. But the guys who did not like Chuck Berry, they left the band. So they kind of reconfigured. Exactly. Yeah. These guys were like. Purists. They're like nerds. They're like Berkeley school music nerds. Yeah. Blues purist also means broke. Yeah. Exactly. Broke yeah. bloke. And busking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
they get together this group. I think, uh, like I said, Charlie Watts comes in later. So they have like a group of five people who are like the main Rolling Stones. But they're not the Rolling Stones yet. What happened was Brian was the manager. He's like, this is my band. You guys are all in my band. It's like when Steve Jobs created Apple. Yeah. This is my company. <laughs> and then later he, he got kicked out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is he really credited as the start of the Stones? It was Brian Jones' 100%. idea? Wow. One time he was on the phone with a venue, like trying to book their band. They didn't have a band. They didn't have a name yet. Yeah. And then um, I think one of Muddy Waters' greatest hits was on the floor at his feet while he was talking to this hall owner or whatever it was. And one of the song names on it was Rolling Stone Blues or something. And, uh, and he's just like, what's the name of your band? And he goes, Rolling Stones. Wow. Yeah. And I it, think he probably had it in his own head, too, because he's had so many kids and ran away from them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Papa, Papa was, was a Rolling, rolling Stone. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good point. <laughs> and his sperm are a bunch of Rolling Stones. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're getting in everywhere. They're like, they can't. <laughs> They can it with all these kids. Can you shoot it somewhere else? It's yeah. up a vagina. Yeah. <laughs> shoot it. Yeah. Put it Put it on a catcher's mitt. Do Anywhere something. else. <laughs> and his dick definitely ain't gathering no moss. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the next question. Yes. The magazine. Okay. Is that based on the band? Rolling Stone magazine. It's one of those things I've probably wondered for 30 years and never Googled it. Well, I've heard some of this story that Bob Dylan's song, Like a Rolling Stone, was based off of them. But Bob Dylan says not necessarily. Mm. I don't know if that's the case, but as far as the magazine, I don't know. That's a good point, because wouldn't Brian Jones or his estate have like a claim on that? If, you if would it was? think if they were first. But, if, but it would go back to Muddy Waters, because Muddy Waters is where they initially got that song from. But that's a lyric. No, that's a that's a that's the song name of the name. song. Well, the saying I'm looking it up right now. The name of it is Rolling Stone, which comes from the old saying, "A Rolling Stone gathers no moss." Muddy Waters used the name, used that name for a song he wrote. Uh, the Rolling Stones took their name from Muddy's song, and "Like a Rolling Stone" was the title of Bob Dylan's first rock and roll record. What do you? Why is into? it so popular at this time that everyone wants to name their song, their magazine, their band? I don't know. It's a cool name. I think they made it really cool. I think they, with that moment in history when he said to that venue owner, "We're the Rolling Stones." That's history right there, and that's why Rolling Stones got big. Muddy Waters, you know, a lot of those blues guys, they got ripped off, and I, mm -hmm. I, they totally got ripped off by the Rolling Stones. Of course they did. In this whole scene, they did. By oh, you mean Eric, the music? The entire yeah. music. Of course they did. You know, so I think once you or start, is it homage? There's a fine line between homage and just ripping people off. Well, Led yeah. Zeppelin actually ripped people off, but I think the Rolling Stones yeah. falls into <laughs> a tribute and influence. Yes, and at the beginning, you know, they're kind of like just a, a blues cover band. Yeah. I think Paul McCartney recently said that on Howard Stern, like, they were a blues cover band, mate. They but did their bluesy, woozy, poozies. Yeah, he's, he talks, like, ridiculous like that. He, <laughs> nothing, you know, it, it doesn't seem real, like a real person. They're a bunch of floozies. Yeah. <laughs> One of the nicest guys I've ever met. Oh, oh here, here we, we go. go. <laughs> 
I was doing stand up. Okay. Yeah. No, he was in Poughkeepsie doing stand up at the Chuckle Lodge. And Paul McCartney came up to him and gave him like a thumbs up and said, You're all right, kid. That's exactly. I was at a, you know, Chili's in fucking Chestershire. Yeah. You know, doing a stand up show. Why is that show there? Exactly. But there, yeah, I met Incomes, Paul McCartney. So what's the story? He flipped a penny at me. (laughs) Don't spend it all in one place, mate. One busker to another busker. No, it was just such a. Uh, it was during the NBA All Star Game, and I was working talent transportation. So I met everybody that came into the stadium and handed them off to producers, who then brought them in and got them to their seats. Was this the same night you met Clinton? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Same. That's night a big at- night. Bill Clinton, Bill Russell. That's why I thought it was like it was so nice to meet Paul McCartney because Bill Russell was such a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but um, yeah. and did yeah. you meet Brian Jones? Uh. <laughs> We'll catch Kyle in a lie. He's like, yeah. I met Brian yeah, Jones <laughs> at the Laugh Hut. We went yeah. swimming together. Yeah. You are like Forrest Gump. You're in the background of all these uh, historical oh, big stories. Time, yeah. yeah, you're right there. It's an honor to meet you, yeah. Mr. McCartney. Did you like my stand-up show? Yeah. I just swam up to a boat and got on it. And that's <laughs> the one that George Bush said, mission accomplished. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> you accidentally knocked over the Twin Towers. Yeah. yeah. You, you and Steve Renazizi were working together. <laughs> Yeah, I just knocked over like a Jenga display in the in the main lobby. There was a banana peel, and guy's like, "Whoa!" Yeah. And he hits the side of the building, and, the- <laughs> and then the then the, the curb your enthusiasm music plays. <laughs> Muhammad Atta is like, "Look out! There's a building!" <laughs> That's a good Muhammad Atta impersonation. <laughs> yeah, he's got fucking Roger Rabbit and Muhammad Adam. I now. know, he got him nailed. <laughs> um, so th- all these guys, they're living together, they're playing together. They have like some shithole that they live in in Chelsea in like September 1963. This is like the early starts of the band. Brian Jones is hanging out with Keith and Mick Jagger. They don't really know shit about music. Oh, they, wow. They're not really that smart musicians at all. So they're the natural talent where they can play, but they don't read notes, that no, kind they're, of thing. They're, they're good at being cool and knowing what they have a good ear. So they know what's good, but they don't have the musical background Brian Jones has. So in this apartment they share, he's teaching them how to play harmonica, how to play guitar, you name it, you know, slide guitar, all that shit. So the, Brian Jones is like the John Frusciante of the Rolling Stones. Yeah, or Hallel Slavic, Slavic yeah. too, yeah. yeah. I yeah. have nothing to say about John Fashante <laughs> right now. No, no, we cannot. <laughs> the defense rests. Yeah. So they bring on Bill Wyman on bass, and then, you know, this is basically the band. And, and Charlie Watts is there or not? Charlie Watts, yeah. I, I did mention him before. He's on the drums there, and they, they brought him on, too. Um, he was a great drummer. I guess he was like a very great jazz-influenced drummer who they had to persuade into the band, actually. Wow. So he really didn't take any guff from anybody. Charlie Watts, it sounds like. No, he does not take off from anyone. I think he just wants to play his music, go back home, and fucking go to sleep. I don't think he cares about <laughs> any of this nonsense. They're all living together. Are they all doing a bunch of drugs together, too? Oh, yeah, you name it. They're getting... And Brian Jones is partaking as well. Yeah, but it's like the early day. They're like, you know, just experimenting and they're having a good time. It's not getting over the top yet. You know, no one's getting strung out at this time. Keith Richards is not Keith Richards yet. No. There's no, like, coconuts falling on his head yet. No. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he's like uh, Johnny Depp from Pirates of the Caribbean. That did happen to him. Really? Yeah, a coconut almost fractured his skull. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Brian, at this time, he was so important to the band. He was like instrumental in getting them everything they got because he's a pushy, crazy mm-hmm. person. <laughs> and that's sometimes what you need to get something off the ground. You need a pushy psychopath. I, I oh, compare yeah. him to Steve Jobs only in that, you know, he was really a genius innovator. He was really great at getting one of the biggest things in the world off the ground. Right? And he wore black turtlenecks. He did sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Not a lot, but he did a lot. Really, but, besides the kids part, abandoning all his kids, Yeah, he's a go-getter. He is, yeah. And I, I think he realizes he's got a lot of mouths to feed, so he's got to do something. Go get your kids, how about? <laughs> but eventually, the, the Rolling Stones start getting some traction. All of a sudden, like some money starts coming in. Hey. Uh, Brian is taking more money because he started the band. Yeah. Because he's the manager. He's the one booking things. Hey, Billy was... Corgan did the same thing. But yeah, he's like kind of like the Billy Corgan. Yeah. But everyone got mad at Billy Corgan. Yeah, everyone hates Billy Corgan <laughs> oh now. God. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, the Smashing Pumpkins. They it's hate just Billy guts. Corgan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they hate his guts. But yeah, it, it would be the same history if Brian Jones was still alive. He was getting more, and all of a sudden, Mick and Keith are like, they're very business-oriented guys, mm-hmm. and they're like, he's getting five pounds more than them for being like the booker and manager, but he's not of doing it. food any- or money? What's up? No, I, anyway, continue. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> he uh, got three more potatoes than us. <laughs> but he's getting five pounds more than the other guys, but little do they know, he's not even booking the shows. This other guy they brought in... Giorgio Gamelski is the one actually doing all the booking. So he's oh, not, he's boy. lying and saying he's doing all this stuff oh, and collecting man. all the extra money. And these guys, <laughs> right off the bat, like, I hate this motherfucker. Yeah. He's starting to get to become like a megalomaniac. Mm. It's starting to get resentful because money's starting to come up. And he is taking all he can get, basically. Goddamn Gamelski. Yeah, but he's still the leader of the band. So what are you going to fucking do? So these guys, Mick and Keith, are like, we don't like the direction of the band right now. Ooh. We want to bring in someone else, another manager, producer, someone to kind of like steer us into the next level. It's like that part of Almost Famous when they bring in Jimmy Fallon's character, basically. <laughs> you guys, you could have sued that guy with the gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could have got you the, the money in Chicago. <laughs> Lock the gate! And, and I'm going to be the, the cokehead uh, NBC uh, Tonight Show guy. <laughs> I'm, oh. not, no, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. Hey, okay. hey, hey, I'm talking about characters here. I thought he was, here. I I thought he was just a drunk. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was tough because this guy, Andrew Lug. Oldham was going to be the new producer and manager of the band. So he's basically taking over for Brian. Yeah. That um, name, you don't know whether it's a village or someone. It's name. a weird fucking name. Yeah. This guy turned out to be a weird guy also. They, they didn't stick with him for too long, but the changes he made were so instrumental in the band, they actually still survived that concert you saw. So it's pretty much the same lineup in the way the band was run. As it is for the rest of the 70 years it went on. Yeah. Really? I'll tell you what he did. I'll tell you the, the main bullet points of what uh, Andrew Oldham did. So he came in. He's like, I like this band. You guys are the anti-Beatles. That was what the main theory that they had in them to catapult them into the stratosphere. So Beatles were pop and they were real rock. And they were real rock. Blues. And they were bad boys. They were and fucking blues. bad boys. Yeah. Is this around 64? 63. So the Beatles have not exploded in the United States yet. No. But they're getting buzz in Britain. 
They're getting buzz in Britain, and they're getting buzz in like the greater European. You could still tour around Europe, but like they didn't even know anything. They're like, you know, British bands were awesome. Yeah, they loved that they were British bands, but they were inspired by America, but they weren't too like you know rough around the edges like American blues were. <laughs> That's what was so weird. I watched a documentary about the Beatles and like the Stones and stuff, and they were showing a show of the very early Beatles and. The people there are fucking throwing tables and chairs and fighting in the middle of the crowd. And they're literally on stage like, I want to hold your hand. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, how fucking insane are these people that are going to these shows? They're possessed. (laughs) I love this fucking band. And they take a chair through the window. (laughs) (laughs) And then in the States, all those girls that were like screaming. Oh, yeah. I mean, you couldn't hear over the screams. It's crazy. Yeah. So Andrew Lug Oldham comes in. He cha- first change he makes, Ian Stewart, who is a keyboardist. They take him off the stage, and he's just a studio guy now. He's wow. like, he's like, you're not even touring with us anymore. You're just a studio cat. Sorry. Wow. Sorry. That's cold. This guy is cold bloody. He doesn't give a fuck. He told Mick Jagger, "You're the new front man." Brian Jones is no longer the front man. That's fascinating that Brian Jones is the front man at some point. He was kind of. Wow. He was kind of the front man. But it's crazy, though. It's like way, fucking Mick Jagger, the epitome of the front man. In a way that Robbie Robertson was. You're like, why is this guy up front? He's like the bass player. I don't know, because Brian Jones, wasn't a, he wasn't a front man. He was just a guy who looked all right, who played the instruments. Mick Jagger's probably doing backflips and prancing around, and they're like, <laughs> why isn't he the front man? Yeah. <laughs> He's putting on a good show back there. Yeah, he was, and he was very feminine in the way he was a front yeah, man. And Bri- stro- Brian Jones hated that. <laughs> Brian Jones was like, you're feminine. Like, it's not very masculine. It's kind of disgusting. And you're like, like one of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. Mick Jagger's like, I don't give a shit. This is how I do it. It's yeah. natural. I'm not trying to be androgynous, but I was, you know, naturally. Yeah. He's a born performer. There's people like him, like Prince, where they're just made for the stage. Yeah. You can't even define it. Exactly. It's just that certain something that can captivate a stadium even. Yeah. The next move that the new producer brought in was they, he brought in John Lennon and Paul McCartney to the recording studio which led to the song I Want to Be Your Man becoming the first Rolling Stones single. Wow. Not to be confused with I Want to Hold Your Hand. No. Different, obviously different song, but like, <laughs> but like their mortal enemy, it would seem like in the whatever in the scene. bullshit they set up. Yeah. But they, realistically, they were coming in. Like the same thing with like Jay-Z and Dr. Dre. Oh, yeah. Jay-Z was writing all the songs for the new Dre Day in 2000. They create this rivalry, but it's bullshit. They weren't really competitors because they had different segments, I would think. Well, they, they created their own niches, and it was based off of what the Beatles had already done. The ecosystem was built around the Beatles, basically. Yeah, in the same way that later on, Harry Nielsen would be hanging out with John Lennon, yeah. where they all are helping each other, partying together. and Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, have you ever seen the pictures of Hillary Clinton hugging George Bush and stuff? It's like, it's all professional wrestling. Oh, uh, now you're going to some, like, Epstein, <laughs> all Epstein Island area here. I got to make the YouTube commenters happy. Okay. Or <laughs> Ellen and George W. Bush. That, yeah. Yeah. Your favorite. We know how she is now. Ellen. As, as George Carlin would say, it's a big club and you ain't in it. We ain't in it. <laughs> how do you feel about Ellen, though, really, Kyle? She's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Get the tinfoil. Hat ready. <laughs> <laughs> warmed up. 
So yeah, and the only other thing was that he planted stories about the bad boy image with articles like, would you let your sister go out with a Rolling Stone? Question mark. Oh my so God. So he's going around kind of creating this fire. Would you let your sister? Dude, this one thing that happens with all these guys is that they know how to work the fucking media and stir people up into a frenzy. Oh, yeah. It was unbelievable. And they did that with Elvis too, the Beatles, where yeah. this is satanic. Do you really want your kids listening to this? And that was probably all the producers like planting all this shit. All the yeah. record mm-hmm. people and A&R people planting all this. It's manufactured bullshit. But it always worked. Like growing up, I'd be like, oh my God, you just see what the fuck they said about this band? Like Rage yeah. Against the Machine, going crazy, whatever. Uh it's just I wouldn't insane. be surprised if like Tipper Gore and all these people that went after rappers in the 90s or the people that thought Ozzy had Osborne, stake in those companies yes! that were selling. Yeah. yeah, that would make a lot of sense. It's all collusion. It's yeah, all dude. It, it's a big club. We're not in it. We ain't in it. Some of those bands no one was even listening to. Yeah, exactly. And they're complaining about. Like Frank Zappa. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. He's great, but no one was buying Frank Zappa albums. That was the albums. biggest press he's ever gotten in his life, <laughs> that he's telling kids to kill themselves. I mean, they bought Valley Girl, maybe, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Frank Zappa. Like, what was he? And then what was his kid? He either? was no threat to anybody. If you're into Frank Zappa, you're a loser. <laughs> you heard it here first. Seen it? <laughs> oh wait, fuck! <laughs> I like Frank Zappa. Do you really? I I do actually. We'll we'll talk. I'll, we'll okay. take it offline. A uh, uh, Frank Zappa conversation, and I'll, maybe I'll get into him someday. But anyway, this producer, manager, Oldham got them a big deal with Decca Records. So the Rolling Stones are Decca signed Records. to Decca Records. They previously got denied because of the Beatles, but now they're getting more in the mainstream, and people like finding out. Okay, we can make some money with this band now, with this newly restructured Rolling Stones. And what's happening here, it's like the British invasion, the beginning. Yeah. What an incredible time of music where you have all these rock and rollers that are just creating brilliant pop songs. Yeah. And all from the pretty much the same area. It took them a while to get there, though. It took them a couple of years to like figure out, okay, we got to capitalize on what we're dealing with here. Exactly. And the Beatles were the ones that made it actually work. They, oh, they kicked yeah. it they, off. For they sure. showed the blueprint of how you can actually make this happen and make tons of money. They wouldn't have known to call it an invasion yet until the Beatles went on Ed Sullivan's shoe. That was it. And shoe. We're going to go shoe here. The <laughs> and then they were playing fucking Met Stadium. Like, it's so crazy how quickly they went from nothing. It all just went so and then quickly. They're playing baseball stadiums. I but, couldn't believe that when I saw it in the '60s, like watching the documentaries and stuff. I was like, "Holy shit! They've already they've been doing this in music." And these industry people, I think they know when to strike when the iron's hot. And these are all young dudes, so they're not like people with big families. But Brian Jones did have a family. Several. He had a very big family. <laughs> his, Several families. His record producer and, and Decca said, we're not going to put in the public that you actually have any family at all because wow. it's bad for business. Yeah, because they want you to be the hot commodity that people want to Yeah, they want the girls that think they have a shot. Or yeah, something. exactly. Everybody has to be single. They also did that with Conan O'Brien in the 90s. They wouldn't allow him to say that he was married. What? Because NBC was like, we don't want it to get out that you have a wife. And that's like, nope. You think that his Conan? target demographic yeah. was women? What, yeah. What are you, some like hot commodity, like yeah. bachelor on the market? Literally. Was I don't he, know like, why. like George Clooney's fucking Conan. But they were so concerned about it, they didn't let him tell anybody for years. That's so funny. Yeah, that is fascinating. Um, overall, Brian Jones is seeing the writing on the wall like, it's all been figured out, and he's not a part of it. 
Whatever this new band is, they don't have the heart right then to tell him, you're just a studio cat now. We don't really need you. But it was wow. kind of... But he was still on stage, and he was still playing his... He probably wasn't even plugged in or something. So but like, his creation, he was getting kind of elbowed out of it. So yeah, Oldham, the producer, says, I'm really pushing Mick and Keith to start writing songs because they collaborate well together. They're good at writing pop songs. Brian sucked at writing original songs. Really? Wow. He was good at reading music and playing it. Things that were already composed and playing them, but he wasn't good at coming up with brand new stuff. He can play Crossroads and blow your mind. Yeah. But he's not going to write Crossroads. Yeah. He could play... (laughs) This is interesting because this is the guy who didn't like authority and being told what to do. And musically, (laughs) he can only be told what to do. Like, that's fascinating to me. More or less. You would think it'd be some whiz... Yeah, and he's starting the band, fully thinking he's the front man, he's going to do everything, and he happens to hook up with the Lennon and McCartney of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and literally Lennon and, and McCartney. Lennon, <laughs> who, came, who came there to teach them how to write pop songs, more wow. or less. But it's laughable to think, we kind of like the writing of Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, you know, we're going to see what they got in them. Yeah. When you think of their body of work, their output. Yeah. He's like relegated to having no power, really. But he's one of those. He's like Mussolini after World War II was already over. He's like, he has no power left, but he's still there. He's eating tires now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a good callback from way back. Episode like, five. Pasolini? Yep. Oh, he's wow. back to Bruskin, <laughs> eating tires. <laughs> no, but he's, he doesn't need to busk anymore because he's in this entire machine of the Rolling Stones and you know they can't really get rid of him because he fucking created the band yeah what are they gonna do or can they well okay we'll get the, here we go you responded to my ad mate I printed the ad on me paper. <laughs> yeah. It's me, Ben. Yeah. It's funny, like a, like a $10 ad. He's holding this over these guys for the rest of their lives. Amazing, too, that they answered it at that right time. What if two other blokes answered it? At that time, it's too late for Mick and Keith to start a new band. So what are they going to do? You can't just leave the band and start your own. You got to yeah. kick him out of the band. You got to kick him out. But I would hope that you'd have a deal in place to be like, all right, since this was your creation, we'll give you... Some money, you'll be good. Well, hold on to that. Okay. Thought. Just fuck off. Fuck off, mate. <laughs> We're holding the thought in our arms right so, now. So, in like the mid 60s, they're touring around Europe and Germany. Brian meets this woman called Anita Pallenberg. And she immediately got pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Just by a handshake, she yeah. got pregnant. Yeah. Anita baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely enough, these two never even had a baby. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But she had three with Keith Richards. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she shooting me- blanks now. Or eh, mate? did she blame the babies on Keith, even though they're Brian's, because he's the one that's still in the band? Really? Well, making the money. Oh. I don't think so, but you I don't got know. A theory. If I'm, <laughs> and he's going to be alive longer. Yeah. If I'm Keith Richards, I'm getting paternity tests, <laughs> right? But yeah. anyway, they meet this kind of actress model, Anita Pallenberg. She is like, she's like oh, I'm sure. at 11. And she's a British years 200. Old. No, but <laughs> <laughs> an LA 11 is a British 200. <laughs> <laughs> but at this time, people are getting better looking. That's a big Larry David claim. People are getting better looking. Yeah. And, but, but at this time, she was still at 11 for then and now. Oh, but yeah. yeah. Oh, she's an Italian actress. She's Italian, but she speaks German. 
Brian is the only kind of confusing. Brian is the only person who speaks German, so he's got it in with her. See that those are his kids, dude. Here's some pictures. <laughs> yes, she is very beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Got that Bridget Bardot thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> Blonde, beautiful, you know, you name it. Bombshell. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's a bombshell. Yeah. So her and Brian are hanging out. They become boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. But it's the sixties. It's free love. Everyone's yeah. fucking. Everyone's sucking. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of got a thruple thing going. They got with a thruple. So Keith Richards comes in. And it's like a thruple. They're hanging out, and Brian, <laughs> he's a dick, and he's, he's like, got a dick. He's got a, <laughs> and he's using and it. And it he works. won't stop using it. <laughs> <laughs> it's working overtime. <laughs> he never puts it back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so Keith. He notices that in this thruple, Brian and Anita are really the ones banging. But then he notices that Keith and her, like, there's some attraction there. And he starts getting nervous about this. He manifests it in a way that, like, you fuck him because I'm telling you to. Ah. You know, you go fuck Keith because I'm the one demanding this. A macho thing. And then she does it. She's like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Watch me. And then he he goes nuts. Brian goes nuts and fucking slaps the shit out of her. Mm. Yeah. And then the band. That's not cool. Yeah. Very not cool. (laughs) They're in like. Kyle, what? I mean it. (laughs) What is it? It's not a laugh line. No, it's like Ebert saying you shouldn't drink and drive. Okay. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, except <laughs> I have a jaw. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't wear and a, a heartbeat. Co- <laughs> yeah. You don't wear jean head to toe all the time. <laughs> she does it. He beats up Anita Pallenberg. It was bad enough that the Rolling Stones left that night and just left Brian there in uh, Marrakesh, Morocco. They're like, fuck this guy. He, he's beating up his fucking girlfriend. This is not cool. We're Did they here. do anything to help Anita? Well, <laughs> oh, they're like, he's beating up our girlfriend. <laughs> Later. <laughs> well, hold on. I can bring in this guy here because I, I just got to get his name. But that's a good question. Uh, so, um, listen, you don't beat up our girlfriend, okay? By the way, we got three babies together. <laughs> They're mine. <laughs> so what happens is... They have me eyes. <laughs> so what happens after he slaps around and beats up Anita, whatever it was, this guy, Tom Keylock, comes into frame. And this guy is some big motherfucker who was in World War II and stuff, who's the handler and driver of the Rolling Stones. Uh, he was the one that drove them everywhere. He'd get them out of trouble. He kind of reminds me of Michael Caine from Get Carter. He's like a guy like that, like kind of a suave dude. He'll come up in a little bit also. He was just always around to make sure these guys stayed out of trouble. He was the only sober guy not doing drugs when these guys were all fucked up all the time. And what happened is he saw what happened with Anita, and he kicked the shit out of Brian Jones. Oh, good. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Anti-shit list. This sounds like a great guy. Well, let's let's hold off on that for a moment. Can't be too good for too long. Yeah, can't be good too for for too long. (laughs) So (laughs) anyway. The Stones go back. They leave Brian. Brian goes to the hospital anyway. He's all fucked up. 
For uh, beating her up? Oh, because, no, he got beat up by the guy. He got yeah. beat up by that guy, and he's on drugs. And I think he fell down a flight of stairs, too. He's just all... He's, That's a lot of things happening. A lot quotes. of things happening at the same time. <laughs> then he got yeah. hit by a taxi outside. He fell yeah. down me stairs. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a knife in his head. <laughs> <laughs> he fell on me knife. <laughs> so what happened was Keith and Anita, they're an item now. So they're like, fuck Brian Jones. Where She's like, now. I did, honey. <laughs> Yeah. He's got a small pecker. <laughs> yeah. So they're moving on. And uh, so Anita State, she's still in the picture. She's like actually giving advice on the ne- on Beggar's Banquet. She's actually like, wow. oh, really? She's kind of like, they trust her more than Brian kind of to give Creatively? Input. Like even Sympathy for the Devil. She's saying background and creatively. A bunch of the songs on Beggar's Banquet. This is like a legendary album. This is like one of their biggest ones. Well, yeah. The initial versions were not good. And so she comes in. She's like, pleased to meet you. They're like, yeah, nice to meet you. She's like, <laughs> no, like, no, these are the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And imagine if you're Brian, like this is your ex-girlfriend coming in with the guy who basically took your band from you. Yeah. And, and, and she's giving input. Yeah, she has more input than he does. Yeah. That's crazy. She's like a Yoko yeah. that everyone likes, actually. Yeah. Pretty much. And isn't yeah. going, ah! <laughs> Yeah, she's reverse o- Yoko. Yeah. <laughs> she's writing good songs. <laughs> yeah. The Oko on my Coco or whatever. <laughs> yeah, she's not just a headache that they have to deal with. She's actually proactively helping them. Uh, Kyle, I have a, a video I texted you right yeah. there. At this time, Brian's coming in to the studio with Anita there, and he's getting all fucked up. And he's not really participating anymore. He's not helping out. He's just decided to be a mess. His involvement in the band dwindled. Keith and I took drugs. But <laughs> you think? Brian <laughs> took too many drugs of the wrong kind, and he wasn't functioning as a musician. I don't think he was that interested. Apparently, in drugs fuck you to up. Rolling Stones anymore. <laughs> He certainly didn't know if he was going to turn up and what state he was going to be, and then what was he going to be able to do in that state? What could, job could you give him? It was very important to us, the fact that we were going to go back out on the road uh, behind a new record, that, uh, that we resolved this thing with Brian. So Mick and I had to go down and sort of tell Brian virtually, like, hey, cock, you're fired. Ooh. Yeah, the fact that he was expecting it made it kind of easier, I guess. You know, he, he wasn't surprised and... I didn't really even think he took it all in. He was already up in the stratosphere. You know, it was kind of like him. Yeah. It was kind of like him. Him. (laughs) By the way, I just smoked me a ton of heroin before this interview. I'm legally brain dead while I'm talking to you, mate. (laughs) Don't even know what I'm saying. (laughs) Do I? He's out of the band. Anita's kind of it, the band. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it's like a background singer and stuff. But the same band Still. he created. He created. I mean, if you're Brian Jones, you got to be a little fucking. He's justifiably upset. I think. <laughs> no shit. He, they need to cut a deal with him. You can't fire him. You got to give him some sort of residuals or something for the rest of the for the rest of the project. Yeah. Which has become a seventy-five-year-old band. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They said we'll give you like a hundred grand a year, uh, pound or p- grand pounds. I'm, I don't even know what the fuck in that perpetuity. Is. In per- uh, to, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they back were. in the day, that would be amazing, but now it's just kind of like. Eh. Based on the amount of money, uh, with this inflation, Biden, thank you. Just kidding. Uh, 
Okay. Mark wants more hateful comments on our YouTube. Yeah. He's so political. Yeah. The other thing that had happened, he got busted for drugs, but there was also like a Scotland Yard was coming after the Rolling Stones, basically. Ooh. And they were colluding with the News of the World, which was like a right-wing news place that actually Rupert Murdoch bought in like 1969. If that gives you an what? idea. It's the big paper. It, yeah, it turned into Fox News, basically. It was like a conservative British paper? Yes, yeah. Wow. And they are like... The Wall Street Journal, if you will. Yeah. And they do this big expose. It was called Pop Stars and Drugs. Facts that will shock you. And they do like a couple... Facts that will shock nobody. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) They do this big expose to take down the Rolling Stones specifically. Why? Because they're a Beatles fan. They don't touch the Beatles. What happened was Keith Richards has this big party, right? At this place he calls the Redlands. Everyone's there. George Harrison is there earlier, but he leaves, and he leaves before this big drug bust goes down, in which 18 police officers come and bust this Redlands countryside villa that Uh, uh, Keith Richards has. What a buzzkill. Wow. It is a buzzkill, yeah. And it turned out at the end there was this guy that was called the Acid King who had a big suitcase of drugs there. (laughs) He was his, His name was David Schneiderman. In real life, but he called himself the Acid King. The Acid King, man. And it turned out he was actually an informant because he had got busted. Oh, what he a had piece of shit. Busted bringing weed into the UK a couple months before. Oh, f- and he became an informant and he flipped on the stones and he got Keith Richards and Mick in all this trouble. Weirdly enough, Brian was there earlier that day. He left because he had to go score a uh, soundtrack, and he wasn't even there at that time. Wow. When you really think about it, though, wouldn't that be a little suspicious if you're at this big party? Yeah. And then someone's like, oh, you're looking for drugs? Go talk to the acid king. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was weird because- Acid rat. (laughs) Son of a bitch. He's a a dirty rat. (laughs) Like Jack Duck Nicholson from The Departed. (laughs) Dustin Hoffman from Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Well, it was every everyone was weirded out because like it was like weird because uh, the Acid King had this big suitcase of drugs and then the cops were like open that shit and he's like no I can't because there's undeveloped film in here <laughs> so he he didn't open it up and the cops didn't really press him on it. everyone's like that's weird wow and everyone got arrested but him wait who didn't get arrested uh, everyone got arrested at the party but the Acid King. Oh, but he was the informant. Yeah, yeah he's I not going to yeah. get arrested. Yeah, exactly. fuck yeah. him. This yeah. guy sucks. <laughs> yeah. Fucking ass. Fucking game. ruining parties. <laughs> yeah. I hope he had a bad trip. There yeah. was this guy, this poor guy, Groovy Bob, that was there. He got, Groovy Bob? Yeah, another <laughs> informant? These yeah. Simpsons characters? <laughs> <laughs> Talk to Groovy Bob, yeah. the acid king, yeah. and Wacky Willie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Groovy Bob got six months in hard prison. For having- <laughs> Dude, that ain't groovy. It's not so groovy, mate. I had too much heroin on me, it turned out, in the in the end. Sorry, Simon and Garfunkel. Not feeling so groovy today. Where have you gone, Groovy Bobby O? <laughs> the Acid King has given mm-hmm. your names away. I guess when the, the 18 police officers showed up at the door, Bob Dylan's Rainy Day Woman was actually playing, which is a very... I Sad you, moment. I thought you were going to wow. say Bob Dylan answered the door. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Hey. Hey, real. We're what just are you having doing? a party. Yeah. <laughs> and heroin Bob is going down the street. <laughs> hey, and, you. and we're about to meet. And uh, how about this heat? <laughs> <laughs> so there was this guy, Norman Pilcher, who was kind of spearheading Scotland Yard's drive to take down the Rolling Stones. Really, what is driving this? Why? 
what is driving this is that I this is the theory that these are middle class guys that are given a ton of money. Now they're moving to the countryside. They're fucking with these people's lives. All the, the monarchy. The monarchy or the aristocracy and all these people that didn't have to deal with commoners. Now they have them in their face like blaring music. Yeah, they're Keith Richards to... <laughs> with a castle over <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, on a golf cart like fucking on heroin, you know, in your face on St. Andrew's fucking <laughs> golf course. It's like spending your whole life working up to make sure you get a house in the Hollywood Hills and then a hype house moves next to you. Yeah. <laughs> all these young TikTok kids that have millions of dollars. People but... pissing in the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were pissing in the street. Jake Paul is your new neighbor. Yeah, so yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. This is my life's work that got I, me here. I wouldn't like it either. But you wouldn't be Acid King. No, I wouldn't flip for nobody. <laughs> so Brian gets busted too. He gets He's a two-time loser now. He gets busted again uh, <sighs> for drugs and another time for like meth and stuff. Both times he has some bullshit excuses to get out of it. He said the previous tenant left some weed in the walls and that's where <laughs> <laughs> that's where it came from he's like a bullshitter he's like a liar it's hilarious and this is all happening in 1967 right uh yes around this time summer of love summer <laughs> some 68 was a summer of love we've established this. no it's 67 is it okay maybe, maybe i was right before so it's more like the summer of lockdown nice hello uh 67 yeah okay never mind i stand corrected um so what does uh brian decide to do he's like things are getting too hot for me here he's like i'm gonna move to the countryside myself i'm gonna seclude myself from all this kind of chaos going on in london you know with all these rolling stones i'm not of the band so i might as well just kind of move by myself into this countryside Mm -hmm. while there he's in this place called crotchford crotchford estates nice that sounds like a good place for him Yeah. yeah with all his babies i know I'm moving to a place called Crotchford yeah. in 69. <laughs> it's a lot of crotches. Yeah. <laughs> it's the summer of love in Crotchford. You know what I mean? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, mean. <laughs> so Brian buys his big palatial mansion, which was owned by the writer of Winnie the Pooh, A.A. Milne. A.A. Milne, oh, hell yeah. Some of that. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Some of those poo pounds. Yeah. <laughs> this house is like absurd. It's like it's like a nightmare in a fairy tale. It's like there, there's statues of like Christopher Robin. Oh, Robin that would be creepy. Tigger, Piglet, Rue, all these like fucking like cast iron statues or like. I rot- can dig it. Well, you yeah, I, I wouldn't turn down living there. But Did come you on. say you could dig it? I could dig it. Tig it. I could tig it, too. <laughs> you could dig it. <laughs> so he buys this big place. He needs to get some construction work done. He's like, I can't have any of these creepy characters around me. <laughs> Sounds like he needs to become a construction worker. Yeah. To make no, some money. But, but he, hired, he hires someone, actually. Remember that guy, Tom Keylock, I mentioned before? Oh, the fixer. That beat the shit out Get of him. Carter. <laughs> that beat, yeah, that beat the shit yeah, out of him. Michael Caine, uh, yeah. The big boy. So this is the guy who kicked Brian Jones's ass. They're still good friends. They, oh, got, wow. they, they were no hard feelings. No hard feelings. Just hard punches. Hard punches, yeah. <laughs> they got like some like Rick James, Charlie Murphy type of uh, relationship. Here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where he beats them up, but they're still buddies and stuff. Yeah. Um, so he uh, asked him, like, do you know any contractors? Or construction workers that can help me like fix up my house here. Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, I totally know a guy. He mentions this guy called Frank Thorogood, who is a contractor who comes to help Brian. 
Mm-hmm. And Frank Thurgood is like another World War II uh, veteran. He's got a glass eye. He's all in the country service. He's just a regular British dude. Yeah. But Brian Jones like ruins this guy's life, basically. What? Wow. Yeah. He's like, what you looking at? Just me glass eye. Yeah. Which eye is the right one? I don't like either of them. <laughs> the right one's the left one. But this guy is just like a normal dude, and fucking Brian Jones turns him into like a, a house servant, basically. Oh, no. Mm. At some point, they're building this huge brick wall. You know, because Brian Jones wants it. And then Brian's just like, oh, I kind of want it over there now. After they had created oh, that an is... entire brick wall. Like those clients <laughs> that they want the TV on this wall. Well, you guys then know Then they this. change their mind. Like, I would... No, actually, I meant it to go by the stairs. Oh, God. So they had to, with a uh, sledgehammer. sledgehammer, destroy the, the entire thing and rebuild it. And then after that, Brian goes, I actually liked it in the original spot. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. Okay. Yo, this guy's on the shit this list. <laughs> Brian Jones? Yeah. He's yeah, dead. That, well, yeah. yeah. For his well, treatment can... of contractors is unacceptable. You can be dead and be on the shit list? Of course. There's definitely a lot of dead people on the shit list. Yeah. Are there Brits too? Simon Monjack <laughs> or Conjack? So yep. Brian Jones also, he has all these like hot chicks kind of going in and out of uh, the Crotchford Farm here. Crotchford <laughs> His crotch, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. He's, he's not shooting blanks, as we said before. He's like, welcome to Crotchford. Yeah. I ain't talking about the town. <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to the crotch. <laughs> and you're the third. <laughs> he would like torture this guy, this contractor. He would like say, hey, if you do like 200 push-ups, you can fuck my girlfriend. And yeah. yeah. And, like, f- and, he and would, how did she feel about that? She would go along with it. But once uh. he did the 200 push-ups, she goes, yeah, I'm not going to fuck you. And they were like, fuck with this guy. Oh, my God. And he had like a wife back home. And they were like partying. He'd give them drugs and stuff. And he like, I think Brian Jones came out of the Rolling Stone situation fucked up, jaded, angry person. And he, and he did- was taking it all out on this Frank Thorough good guy. Yeah. He got a lot of money. It sounds like. His name was on a lot of the songs, even though he wasn't the writer. His name was on whatever. And they still paid him, even though he wasn't there. Yeah. And he still, like Tom Keylock, he worked for the business manager of the Rolling Stones. And he would pay for all this work being done at the house. But at some point, the spigot got turned off. Mm. Wow. And they didn't need the work anymore. And Brian Jones, they kind of were cutting him off from the Rolling Stones. Mm. So he was going to start like his own band. And he was, like, going to move on from the Rolling Stones and stuff. He's like, we're going to be bigger than the Stones. Yeah, Yeah. you can't. Impossible. (laughs) Impossible. Yeah. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I think the only person I know of that has gone from one band to another that's just as big, if not bigger, is Dave Grohl going from Nirvana to Foo Fighters. That's true. That might be it. It's rare. Yeah. It's very rare. Once it strikes like that, you know, you're not going to get that back again. Yeah. Brian Jones is only 26, 27. It's still too late. It's over. (laughs) (laughs) He's over the hill. I think he knew that, too, but I think he was just jaded. He's not the musician he thought he was, and he's not the rock star he thought he was. He wasn't the writer, which didn't help his situation. He still had this chick, uh, Anna Wolin, that stuck by him, and she's like a beautiful model actress and stuff, and she's still there. So he's, by all means... He's still doing okay as a person. Yeah. You know, he's still up. <laughs> right. As a normal person, yes, but in his mind where it's supposed to be this mega success. That's true, too. It's nothing. If, if you're building a brick wall at your mansion in your mid-20s, yeah, you would think that would be a success. 
but typical human nature, though, you look at what you're missing out on, like Kyle was saying. I think that's accurate. Yeah. And I think he took out everything, all this frustration on the world, on this fucking contractor. Mm, that poor guy. I he, bet. He, he drove this guy fucking nuts. So one night, Brian Jones put together a party of some people that he knew. Anna Wolin, obviously his girlfriend was there. Frank Thorogood was there. A nurse friend, Janet Lawson, who was in a relationship with Tom Keylock at the time, who was actually his side piece. So oh. I, that's a way of saying that, I guess. Uh, Hello. T- who was actually, he was married with four kids, but who cares? Oh, boy. Maybe that's why there's a lot of murkiness around what I'm going to tell you next. Okay. On July 3rd, 1969, on this night of the party, Anna Wolin finds Brian Jones face down in his pool dead. What time around? Like after the party? It was around midnight. And the party's still kind of going on? or The party is basically four people. So it's not really a party. There's been some murky details into how many people are actually at this party. So let let me explain. So it's like the Viper Room. Yes. A lot of people were there. No one's really confirmed to be there. No one really knows who exactly is there. Johnny Depp's like, I didn't play that night. Yeah. Yeah. What happened was, this was from Tom Keylock said that they took some crazy hash cakes, as he called them. Hash cakes. And everyone was fucked up. So the details of this are very fucking murky. So I think the big question is here, what exactly went on that led to our main character here, Brian Jones, being at the bottom of this pool Mm. and unresponsive. Here's the other thing. Anna said he might not have been dead at that, like right when they pulled him out of the pool. Mm. So he comes out of the pool. He might not even be dead yet. She just said he was unresponsive in the pool. She said he had a heartbeat. That nurse there, Janet, could actually tell he had a pulse. So when he went off in the ambulance, he actually was, by her recollection, was alive. Wow. But nobody else's. But nobody else's, yeah. But also, she's on the hash cakes. Everyone's on the hash cakes. No one really knows what the... (laughs) She got my hash cakes. I saw him floating in the trees. (laughs) Yeah. He was alive. Yeah. I also love when people say they were unresponsive at the bottom of the pool. Imagine being very responsive at the bottom of the pool. Yeah. Me body's down here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty good here. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why are we saving him? He's screaming he's at good. us. Yeah. <laughs> in in pool language, he's screaming at us. Oh, <laughs> 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 Don't come blown. Fuck it, breathe. Blow off Pass the hash. <laughs> yeah. More <laughs> hash cake. Under the sea. <laughs> yeah, he's doing like his own musical. That's probably what's going on in his head at that yeah, time. Maracas. Yeah. yeah, he's having a good time while high, not yeah. realizing he's about to breathe his last breath. <laughs> oh, Maracas. my God. Maracas, that's actually the last thing the Stones had him playing before they kicked him out of the band. <laughs> he was just, they had him like, <laughs> yeah, but Maracas, that didn't even make any sound. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, okay, just, they keep pushing him to the further end of the of the stage. Yeah, for, more down, mate. But it's dark down here, mate. Yeah, more, keep going. One more step, and then he falls off yeah. the stage. <laughs> All right, mate, you're out of the band. Oh my you keep God. falling off the stage. <laughs> um, Anna calls the ambulance. So what happened? This is a weird moment. Frank Thorogood, remember that contractor mm-hmm. builder? He yeah. goes into the house and crosses that lady, Janet. 
Janet is the side piece of Tom Keylock, remember? Yes. So they're all hanging together. They're all fucked up on this hash, you know. So Keylock is going into the house to get a towel. Janet, the nurse, goes down to the pool, and she's the one that originally finds Brian in the pool, allegedly. Chief is freaked out. Picture this scene, though. Frank is walking one way to the house to get a towel from the pool, and Janet is going towards the pool, and she finds the body. And then she gets Anna eventually, and they all call the ambulance together. Mm. So Frank was with Brian. Frank was with him. The theory that Anna put forth is that Frank and Brian were in the pool, and Frank got a little too rough and put him under the water and was, like, fucking around. Or was he? Did he just have enough and just said to himself, I'm going to kill rock star Brian Jones right now because this guy's been fucking with me for months now. Um, If someone made me knock down a wall I built, build a new one, and then say, no, I want the original wall back, so I have to knock down that other wall and then rebuild another one. I'm not play fighting with him in the water. Also, make fun of him for having a glass eye from being in the war for crown and country or whatever. He made fun of the eye? He made fun of the eye. That son of a... This guy has seen some shit. (laughs) Okay. He's half seen some shit. (laughs) (laughs) From one perspective, from the left eye. He's seen he, some shit from the left. He called him Frankie Left Eye. <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's not Lisa Left Eye. He's Frankie. Left eye. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, come here, you googly eyed, woogly, bugly boo. Oh yeah, he's God. like, get me some fucking French fries. You know, he's like, he turned this World War II veteran construction worker into his house pet. Yeah, he wow. probably had a bell. Glassy, I'm hungry. <laughs> you know what I see him as? Malcolm McDowell from Clockwork Orange. He's like that level of evil Brian Jones is. He's like a fucking scumbag, man. He's a sociopath. Yeah. Who had a little bit of charisma and skill. Yeah. And just took it in the wrong direction. And he got wicked lucky. He's like every billionaire in America. Like, oh, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or get lucky and be in the right place at the right time your entire life. Yeah. He's a footnote to the Stones, and yet he created it. And they don't want to talk about him at all, really. Why would they? You heard Keith there saying, like, he was bad. He was a bad person. He was fucked up. Charlie Watts said he was a shitty person, and he only got worse with drugs and alcohol. Wow. They were just no good for him. And Keith Richards said he was... Yeah, while he's passing out in this <laughs> PBS interview, like, okay, you're an authority on people keeping it together. I remember <laughs> when Brian Jones said to me, he was like, you know, save, 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 and then save. You don't say, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> good story. Yeah. Um, he was also 27. This is the he was the first into the 27 club. The first, first. he cemented the first. The t- he beat Hendrix. He beat Joplin. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's impressive. Yeah, it is impressive. Um, the original cause of death was drowning, but they changed that to death by misadventure. Due to that's the- happening before. Yeah. Where who was misadventure? There death was another by misadventure one. Misadventure was Elton Hoke, mm. the guy that got killed after. The possibly who, killing. Who claimed he saw. He knew what. Kurt happened. Cobain. Okay. Yeah. Courtney Love came up to me and told me blow his fucking head off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, TikTok fucking uh, uh, took that off for us. Those bastards. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah they, they were not they, happy. They, with that. they restricted it. Yeah. Apparently, we can't promote conspiracy murder theories. Yeah. yeah what the the hell? balls on you, <laughs> TikTok. 
So, but can we say this? I'm sorry to cut you off, but this is a pioneer of two different things. And we thought that David Grohl was the only one that was able to do this. But now you're telling me Brian Jones created the Rolling Stones and the 27 Club. So he's got two fucking oh, things okay. under his belt. Someone called that a stretch. I call that not a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else, not me, would call it a stretch. Yeah. I think those are two legendary things. Brian Jones really doesn't get credit for either one. Either one. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's not really a win. I think the reason why it got changed to Death by Misadventure is because after the test came back with all the drugs and alcohol, I don't know what these, maybe you guys can help me uh, crunch this number. He had 140 milligrams percent of alcohol in his blood. That's like a 1.4 breathalyzer or something, right? That was a crunching sound effect, by the way. For what? You told me that. Crunch the numbers. The number. Oh, crunch the numbers. <laughs> nice. Yeah. This thing on? Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, are you adding that up? Blood. Okay, hold on. 140 milligrams percent. Oh. Well, that's crazy because that's on the very low end. Blood alcohol levels of 200 to 400 percent Milligrams percent are associated with nausea, vomiting, and hypothermia. Yeah. Um, 400 to 800 percent is the onset of alcohol coma. And then 600 to 800 percent are fatal. Interesting. So it was like very low on you that You know scale. what I wonder? I wonder if you can't really, from the hash cake, you can't really tell how much drugs in your... It's really hard to, to detect what hash cakes are in your bloodstream. THC converted through your stomach into your bloodstream is one of the most intense experiences you could possibly have. So, yeah, if they don't know who made it, how much they made it with, that shit is insane. I guess um, his liver and heart were like inflamed, which made it look like he was just someone that had done a ton of fucking drugs. Yeah. And was on a ton of drugs. Eating like shit, smoking, doing drugs, drinking. And he looked all right, but he looked like his eyes were fucked up all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like he. And he's making fun of the other guy's eye. I know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Look in the mirror, as you yeah. always say. Hey. Um, yeah. And I think Anna even said that was her theory later on. She was interviewed like uh, in the 90s or something. She said they were horse playing around. Horse playing, you know, use that loosely. I think he kind of really wanted to kill him. Yeah. They were roughhousing. They were roughhousing. But Tom Keylock, actually, remember the uh, Michael Caine, Get Carter motherfucker? Mm-hmm. He said in 1993, he went to go see Frank Thorogood there. He was still living. He was still living in 1993. Wow. And Frank Thorogood on his deathbed said, I killed him. I killed Brian Jones. I had enough of him and I killed him. I believe that. And that's what Tom Keylock said. Mm. But this Tom Keylock was actually named as a person of interest. He was seen taking a lot of stuff out of uh, Brian Jones's house the day after the murder. He even put Anna on a plane back to Sweden the next day, got her the fuck out of town. You didn't you know, see nothing. You didn't you, know nothing. You didn't know nothing. But he's also the fixer of the Rolling Stones. So he's yeah, he's used fixing. To, he's used to cleaning up messes, but was this his own mess? There's also word that he had two other people with him that were at the house that night. I don't think it would be his mess. I think I think everything we're we're hearing is pretty right. The dude had enough of them. He had an opportunity to be like, oh, we're just joking around. Fucking drown you right now. Did it. And then 
you know, it was the other guy's job to make sure that there was no, um, I think he was doing it more out of loyalty to the band because if they found out that the dude who was in the band was involved in all this drugs and But he could bring murder. down the band from the outside, maybe. Some people yeah. said the Rolling Stones could have taken him out and had Tom Keelock do it. Because oh. he was going to be a liability? Because he was going to be a liability, yeah. Hmm. Financially yeah. and publicly. But for the long term of this band, you know, who knows? Other people thought it was that guy, Norman Pilcher, who was the Scotland Yard guy. He went to prison himself for perjury in 1972. Some people think that he was involved in the drug trade as well as prosecuting the drug trade. So he might have been like self-dealing and been a crooked cop. Hmm. And like he might have taken out Brian Jones. Just a theory. Just Uh, throwing it out there. This case has been widely speculated. There was a movie in 2005 with Patty Constantine called Stoned about this entire case. The movie sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty bad title. The Stones wouldn't allow them to use any of the songs, so it's just like they're using these kind of like off-brand Stone-sounding songs. Oh, I have to see this. we got to live stream this. (laughs) I watched it the other night. It's a piece of (laughs) shit. It's just I can't like, get no. But the only yeah, the only good thing about it is Patty Constantine's actually a good actor, and he plays Frank Whitlock. Yeah. Or um Frank Thorogood, rather. He plays Frank Thorogood in that. And he does a good job, but the Whoa. movie itself just kind of yeah. yeah. I can't get no good feelings from accomplishing <laughs> things. <laughs> I can't get no counter action. I'm a street fighting guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an avenue fighting fella. <laughs> Sympathy for Satan. <laughs> Pleased to meet you. Guess you know what people call me. <laughs> nice to make your acquaintance, mate. Yeah. Um, Under my index finger. (laughs) (laughs) Tom Keelock, remember I said that he got the deathbed confession? He said Frank Thorogood, he was going to go back the next day and talk more about this confession, but Frank Thorogood died that night. Shut the fuck up. So sorry, I tried. This is that makes it so sketchy to me. Like, oh well, yeah, I was gonna get more info out of him, but whoops, he died that night. Incredibly I, bad timing. I accidentally stepped on his breathing tube as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> I took out his older eye. Whoopsie. Yeah. And Tom Keylock actually died in two thousand nine. This case has been reopened in like twice in the eighties and also in two thousand nine after Tom Keylock died. Tom Keylock was actually the main consultant for that movie Stoned also. So he got paid off of that. Yeah, which is, of course, like, he's so full of shit, this guy. Yeah. And he died in 2009 anyway. Wow. uh, So any, I think, truth about this case died with him, probably. Did anyone, like, big write or direct that movie Stoned? No. They haven't done any other things (laughs) that we would know. No. (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm like... It's like an outlier weird movie. I had to pay $2 for it on Amazon <laughs> just because it's not available on any other streaming service. And it was $2 too much. Yeah, exactly. I have a UK Mirror article from 2013. Let's hear it. They did an interview with Anna Woolen. Yeah. It says here, she sensationally claims the musician was killed in a scuffle with disgruntled minder Frank Thorogood. Apparently, a minder is a person whose job is to protect somebody. Yeah. It's a minder. Well, I think that guy, Frank Thurgood, would hate that title for himself because he was a construction worker who all of a sudden just became this, like, fucking houseboy. Yeah. Yeah. The other guy was the minder. 
Tom, yeah, Tom the Keelock. fixer. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Keelock was the fixer. Yeah. And that Bo- night, actually, the night of the hangout, Frank Thurgood actually went to go buy all the booze at the liquor store for the entire party. <laughs> wow. Like he was like the gopher to actually oh, did man. that too. Yeah. And Anna continues. She says, quote, Brian is portrayed as a bitter, worn out and depressed man who was fired because of his drug habit and who died because he was drunk or high. But my Brian was a wonderful, charismatic man, had given up drugs and was looking forward to pursuing the musical career he wanted. We were blissfully happy together. That's quite a picture she's painting. There were two sides of this entire story. Like, was he happy? It seemed like he was down and out and fucked up. She claims he wasn't bitter at all about being replaced in the stones and that it was mutual. Mm, No, but they fired him. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what she's saying. Scream. She is singing his praises. I just imagine Brian Jones looking at a sculpture of Tigger while he's dying. He's being, <laughs> he's being drowned to death by this construction. Oh, staring worker. at Eeyore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, bother. Yeah, he's looking at the piglet. Oh, God, what did I do to this guy? <laughs> oh, you're drowning. <laughs> 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 Somebody help me, Tigger. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm doing coke. <laughs> it's thoroughgood. <laughs> please let me. Please. <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> I think he wanted to die. Brian Jones wanted someone to kill him. And I think this guy, Frank Thoroughgood, came along and killed him. So it's like a Marvin Gaye kind of thing. It feels like it. Yeah. No, it does. It feels like someone at the end of their career. Only at the age of 27, that just feels like there's there's no future for him. I doubt he wanted to die. Yeah, that's true, too. He was too much of a scumbag to want to die. Yeah, and egotistical. Self, self-centered. Yeah. yeah. He, he wouldn't even go see his kids. Yeah, it's rare that like narcissists kill themselves. <laughs> that is accurate, all, yeah. actually. Wow. One thing of note that you were saying about the movie Stoned, the director is named Stephen Woolley. He's known for producing The Crying Game and Michael Collins. Uh, with but Liam producing. Neeson. Yeah, producing. Yeah, it doesn't mean he really, you know. But The Crying Game was nominated for one Oscar, so I guess on IMDb it's telling us that he was nominated for that Oscar as being a part of the um, production, but it, only because it was Best Picture. Oh, so it's like the producers actually get it. Yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah I don't know. Th- it's always the producers that get the Best Picture. Best oh, picture. is that true? Yeah. Oh, so he was that. nominated. He was nominated yeah, for an Oscar. Like that, that year they said La La Land and not, uh, what was it called? Uh, Moon- oh, Moonlight. Moonlight, yeah. Yeah, Moonlighting? Moonlight? Moonlight. Anyway, that was the only um, directing he's ever done. Yeah. So it sounds like he was murdered by Thoroughgood. All signs seem to point to that. Everyone, including uh, the guy that was the in-between, the fixer, fucking Michael Caine, Get Carter guy, he said that was the generally the case. But Frank Thoroughgood's daughter said, my dad was a very sweet man. He would never do something like that, and he would never kill anyone. My dad never killed me. Yeah, he would yeah. never kill anyone else. But also, this guy, Frank Thoroughgood, he was totally enchanted by Brian Jones, and he was gone for like three weeks at a time, away from his family. But he, he also wasn't treated very well. No, but he didn't care. He enchanted wa- by the guy that's like, hey, give me 200 push-ups and you can fuck my girlfriend. But yes. Just kidding, I'm not going to fuck you. Spits in his face. That happens in like the Toxic Avenger, where this guy's parading around his girlfriend and they're like fucking loser yeah they that's the whole thing of the toxic avenger he thinks he's gonna fuck this girl and then he doesn't and 
becomes a toxic avenger. Well, I think <laughs> Kyle's trying to make the toxic avenger yeah. happen in this episode. Stop trying to fucking jam it in this episode. Trying to shoehorn this. Yeah. No, but it's true. Like you can. Uh, uh, all right, keep going. No, but what what I, what I was gonna say was that he was living vicariously through Brian Jones. Frank, though, oh, a little bit. His generation. Same thing with Tom Keelocks. They had to go to war. They actually had to do things. They couldn't hang around playing the blues in London and have like a fucking band like this. You know what this reminds me of? Carpy. Yes. A yeah. less creepy Carpy. Yeah, because Carpy at least was getting some. This guy was getting none. Yeah, he at least got to put his finger in Bob Crane's ass. Exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Carpy was a veteran also. And he, um, yeah, he. And he killed Bob Crane. <laughs> <laughs> He, like Thoroughgood killed And he had Brian a good time Jones. And Thoroughgood had a good time Yeah they everyone all had a good had, time Yeah everyone had a good time Yeah What's the downside of any of this? Nothing <laughs> You just live Some people live a little longer yeah. than others Some people yeah. don't Yeah some people gonna die hey. Some people die at the bottom of the pool But hey. uh it's at the bottom of the pool yeah, Oh yeah exactly Alright don't hang up click This is our second bottom of the pool death Yeah It is and someone is clearly responsible, William, but they have not been prosecuted. William Shatner is that person. Yes. Except they rightfully suspect murder in Brian Jones' case. Yeah. Yeah. The LAPD has been covering for William Shatner for years, question mark. <laughs> so in two Question mark. Mark. <laughs> well, Answer me, Mark. In 2009, Sussex police reopened the case. And at some point, they're like, death by misadventure is correct. Wow. Hmm. Misadventure. And misadventure, that covers a wide range of hooliganery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hooliganery. But there was no Sounds reason right. to believe or to think that you could actually prosecute something else. Like, you know, Frank was dead by that time. My theory is that he just pushed Brian a little too hard. Brian, though, he was like an Olympic swimmer. He was like a great, strong swimmer. Everyone said that. Yeah, but you're going up against a very angry World War II vet. Yeah. That's what they said about Nareen Shatner. He's got, that she was a good swimmer. He's got one yeah. eye strength. <laughs> Jeez Louise. He was a good swimmer, except sometimes he would run into the side of the pool. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the only other thing I want, I want to bring up about Possibly that. Possibly taking a left. Brian underpaid Frank by like 7,000 pounds. Yeah. He murdered him. Like, people imagine, have murdered people for less than that. Yeah. Uh, imagine if I owed you like 20 grand. I'm like, hey, what are we doing Tuesday? Like, what like the fuck? I'm like, uh, taking a swim in my pool, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, doesn't that kind of stuff go on in Boston all the time? People oh, screw yeah. each other over. But yeah, but you get the consequences hey. eventually. You know, right. people uh, settle scores in mm -hmm. Boston. It'll and catch, they do catch up to you. In, uh, and in, in London, the town. London countryside also. But that's all I have. I, I think. Uh, but after Brian died, there was a big um, outpouring of affection. There was a big uh, public funeral for him, on which a half a million people showed up. Did half Mick, a million. Did Mick Jagger go? Mick Jagger and Keith Richards did not go to the funeral. Oh, I knew it. These motherfuckers. They claim they were like Mick said he was filming this dumb movie called Ned Kelly or something. <laughs> Keith, we were Richard, busy. Keith Richards, I didn't even. I don't even think he came up with the excuse. I expected they wouldn't have gone. The one thing that did throw me for a loop is when we were talking about Chris Farley and David Spade didn't go. But that was out of emotion. That was yeah. because he couldn't handle it. But yeah. that's still surprising. Mm, it, but think of how heavy that must have been. That's your best friend. Yes, but it's very heavy. I'm sad. Yeah, no shit. He's dead. It's a funeral. You're supposed to be sad. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah. I, I I'm trying you, to understand David's at the end of the episode, <laughs> you know, mind frame. But. Kyle's throwing haymakers at us at the end of this episode <laughs> for no reason. Mick um, Jagger. So he didn't say any statement ever about Brian Jones. No, they said a bunch. They said like uh, he was brilliant. But you know, we kicked him out. Like but, in you that, know, it was that, that one clip. Yeah, they all said like he was a mess. He was an asshole. He got fucked up. Things happen. Keith Richards is like he was out of hand. He was like doing drugs and like falling asleep. <laughs> the weird thing is, like at that time in the sixties, you can get fucked up. Everyone was, but you couldn't get too fucked up. You had to stay in this nice little. Right in the zone. Right in this little zone of getting just enough <laughs> fucked up to be okay. To be cool, bit. but still productive. And, and, and Hard still to find the on... balance. Remember that movie, uh, Mank? The... I didn't see that one. Mank? You didn't see Mank with Gary Oldman about the screenwriter? I heard oh. it stank. I Hello. Lo- I love Mank. You guys were fucking crazy. <laughs> it's David Fincher, yeah. David Fincher, yeah. I just happened to not have seen it yet. But in that, it's he's a crazy drunk screenwriter who like makes a fool of himself everywhere, and he like pisses off everyone in Hollywood. <laughs> but it just shows that you have to be the perfect level of drunkness. You can't be too drunk, mm-hmm. and you can't yeah. be sober. <laughs> so yeah, you need to be like lucid enough to be able to maneuver the business, but also have the lore of being like the fuck up. Yeah, and not tell some studio exactly go fuck themselves. Yeah, or, yeah, and to not die. People exactly. like Hendrix and Joplin, they died. They died, yeah. But uh, the Rolling Stones went on to have an amazing career, obviously. Uh, you don't say. Yeah. Career's um, not done yet. Keith and Anita were married for 13 years and have three kids or had three kids together. No shit. Yeah. They and, look a lot like Brian. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> he's, well, he's got like a trial. He wound up with like six kids or something. He's like Genghis Khan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's Everybody's like, related to him. He's like Genghis <laughs> Cannon. Hello. I think he's also a, a dude that just, uh, he peaked too early. He's like those kids in high school that just peaked too early. <laughs> you know? He peaked by the time he was like 23, 22. And that yeah, was that's crazy. Well, you know, I'm still waiting for my peak. So hey, I know, that's yeah. why we're good. <laughs> Some people peak uh, like me, never. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Anything could happen. Um, but yeah, that's the Brian Jones story. Mm. Such an integral part of beginning the greatest rock band in British history besides the Beatles mm-hmm. and yeah. really not getting that much credit for it. No. Yeah. I, I and th- getting no credit for starting the 27 Club. Like, let's be real. That's yeah. arguably bigger. But he's also <laughs> like Pete, Pete Best kind of of the, the Beatles where, yep. you know, no one really knows him, but there's always some geek at a party. They're like, actually, <laughs> the first uh, drummer of <laughs> <laughs> I have a trivia question. Who was the first drummer <laughs> on the Beatles LP? Yeah. Hold my hand. <laughs> it almost sounds like you're going into Gilbert Godfrey. Like, <laughs> who was the first drummer and bass player of the Rolling Stones? <laughs> What's your band called? <laughs> the Aristocrats. <laughs> they're sucking. They're fucking. They're puking. They're taking hash pancakes. They're at the bottom of pools. They're barely speaking from the pole. Mark's been dying to do his aristocrats. What do you call this act? The Rolling Stones. (laughs) (laughs) And he's fucking that one guy in his eye socket. (laughs) His glass eye socket. (laughs) And everybody else's wife. (laughs) He's shitting out kids 
left and right. <laughs> he's fucking everyone. He's impregnating you, your mother. <laughs> <laughs> the babies are popping out. <laughs> Like a World War II gun that Thorogood used to shoot before he lost an eye. <laughs> and I molted. <laughs> I molted. What do you call this thing? The death of Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones. <laughs> final so, thoughts. Yeah, no final <laughs> So let us know if you thought he was murdered <laughs> or if he actually drowned. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have my thoughts. I think he was actually murdered by Thorogood, and um, it really makes sense. Uh, there was a lot going on. I think that people at the party know more than they let on. I think that... Like the Viper Room. Once they knew he was dead, they were like, you know what? He was kind of a dick. We're going to cover for this guy because he doesn't deserve to go to jail forever. He was treated like shit. We feel bad. Yeah, and I think also the the key lock thing. I think when I was talking about, you know, he was taking out the evidence, destroying it, doing a lot of things, seemingly cleaning up. He was cleaning up everyone's life it, it wasn't yeah. just the murder you know drugs the the cops scotland yard were all after him they had to clean up all that shit too because no one wants to go away they want to keep everyone out of jail because that's the important part and i think thoroughgood it just happened to be he got away scot-free and yeah and he told his friend later i think so yeah r.i.p brian jones even though you were kind of a piece of shit yeah <laughs> yeah everyone a lot and, of good a lot of bad including the stones on that documentary they, they come out the gate swinging he was an asshole <laughs> <laughs> well they have but to. that's the truth yeah he sounded truth. like an asshole yeah hey, what are you gonna do listen sometimes it be like that <laughs> <laughs> i thought something way more profound yeah. <laughs> something way more profound was gonna come out of kyle's mouth it though. was about to be but it had to go that way <laughs> and yeah. can you please do it in a british accent sometimes it be like that. <laughs> that was more Australian, but I'll let it stop. No, that was British that time. If it was Australian, I'd say, let's get my Tesla and get out of here. <laughs> Is that how you they say Tesla? 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 Oh, Isla? Yeah. oh yeah. they say, yeah. You want a Twizzler, I was asking. Get my Tesla. <laughs> As always, guys, please follow us on Instagram at Death and Entertainment. And YouTube, Death and Entertainment. Email at Death and Entertainment at Gmail. At Gmail, yeah. We've been getting lots of comments lately, some goods, mainly good. Some, you know, take issue with some things we say on this podcast. But yeah. they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Till next week, don't go dying on us. Ta ta. Don't go dying on us. You have just heard A true Hollywood murder mystery I have never seen anything like this before The movies, Broadway, music, television, all of it A place that manufactures nightmares Okay everybody, that's a wrap Good night, please drive home carefully and come back again soon